And in the midst of a field was a man standing, weary, exhausted, parched, wounded, and around him, countless dead bodies. This man was known by his friends as Tsar. What his enemies said called him is not recorded, because as those enemy soldiers came, pouring out their abuse and mockery and scorn, their words choked in their throat as Tsar's sword flickered in the sunlight, piercing, hacking, cutting them down, one after another, ten by ten, until he stood alone on that battlefield, weary, wounded, bleeding, but unbroken. Tsar was an ordinary guy. When he was a kid, he always wanted to be a soldier. But he was skinny, he was small, he was weak. And everyone else thought he was a bit of a pipe dream. But Tsar didn't let go of his dream. He trained, he trained, he trained until his muscles grew strong and his, his muscles like whips of steel in his hands and he began to learn to fence and his weapon was the sword. He got into his teens as a young man and, and, he, and, he, and he got a hero. There was a charismatic captain in his day who was leading the, um, the, little, the little bands of soldiers in, 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 their, in their country and he admired that man. He, he, he was his hero. He wanted to be like him. He wanted to be with him and so he enlisted in that band of soldiers. Now their country had been overrun by the enemy. Again and again the enemy soldiers poured across the land, ravaging, destroying and their little band, they, would, they were like a guerrilla band, a guerrilla warfare. They would, they would hide, they'd ambush, they'd race out, cut down the, 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 the uh, stragglers, um, cut down a few of the enemy soldiers, and then retreat, run back into the hills to safety. But on that day, on that day in the field of Bali, Tsar decided it was time to stop running, and to stand and fight. All the, all the other soldiers in the, in the, in the band, they, they, they begged him, no, don't do it, you're throwing your life away. This is not the time, there are too many, you can't win. You're bound to, to defeat, you're throwing your life away, why do it? But he and his captain stood in that barley field that day, and they cut down the enemy. And you know something? All the men who fled lost. Their names forgotten. Lost in history. All the names of the dead enemy soldiers forgotten. Their bones crumbled and gone in the Middle Eastern ground. But this man, this man is still standing, wearily leaning on his sword, and he's still standing in the second book of Samuel, chapter 23, verse 9. Let's read about him together. We could try and do this together. Why don't we try and do it together? Um, with the names, you just have a go at it. Do it as you want. But... <laughs> 
Our hero is called Eleazar. Eleazar. Okay? The rest you can say any way you want to. <laughs> Next to him, so all together. Next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodai the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered up past Damim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. <laughs> where's, my, where's my... But he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. And now the same story is recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Again, just three verses. This is all you get in the Bible about Eleazar, so you have to make the most of it. Just five verses. Is this it? Yep. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pas Damim when the Philistines gathered there for battle. At a place where there was a field full of barley, the troops fled from the Philistines, but they took their stand in the middle of the field. They defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Thanks, that's great. When you're reading Old Testament stories, I want to just highlight to you two different ways of looking at Old Testament stories. And I will quote to you the, the verses. First of all, in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 11, Paul is talking about not this particular story, but other, another Old Testament story. And he says this. He says, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So these are real historical events. They're telling stories about real people. Eleazar really lived. He really fought in that barley field. But amazingly, when the Holy Spirit records the story, it's written for our instruction. Fantastic. This is why the Old Testament is so exciting. It's relevant to you today, as it was a century ago in Tajikistan or China, Every culture, every era, these stories are relevant for. And the second thing about the stories in the Old Testament, the thing you've always got to think of is, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And it's not just reading things into the text. It's not just trying to twist the scriptures, because Jesus actually says this himself. Luke 24, verse 27. He's talking to the guys on the Emmaus Road. He's just risen from the dead. And it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. Hear that? All the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So, the Old Testament is full of Jesus, and it's for our instruction. I want to just look at this story and draw out a few observations for instruction for us. Then I'm going to apply it to our lives today, and I'm going to call you to action. Because we're not hearers only, are we? We're doers. We hear and we do. We're going to take some action this morning. This could be a turning point. For some of you, this will be a turning point in your life. For some of you, this day, you'll look back and you'll know that something changed. Something happened to you in your Christian walk that will never be the same again. 
So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your reality, your presence, your power, and your love, Lord. And we need you, Jesus. We need you desperately now, Lord. I need you to speak right. And we each need, us, need you to listen right and to do it, Lord, to obey it. Oh, God, will you grant us faith this morning as we listen to your word? Let us grant us insight and instruction. Spirit of God, teach us. As you promised, lead us into all the truth this morning for the glory of your name, Jesus. Right, first observation about this story. Uh, these are f- fairly simple observations, don't worry. It's not, it's not rocket science, this. It's, it's a battle. <laughs> it's a battle. And a lot of the Old Testament is about battles. I wonder why that is. It's been said that the Christian life is not like a battle. It is a battle. You are in a battle today. And some of you need to wake up and realize it. A lot of the things that are happening to you right now are because you're in a battle. And you're blind. And you're asleep. And for all of us, we need to wake up to this battle that we we are engaged in. The Christian life is a battle. And if we don't learn to fight, we're going to be cut down. Second thing I want to observe about this story is, it was a day of retreat. The Israelites were retreating. I love the way that the two writers describe it slightly differently. One is more gentlemanly and more considerate. And he says, the men of Israel withdrew. The other writer says, they fled. (laughs) They ran for their lives. (laughs) I'm not sure whether you're in that category, which of those categories you're in this morning. But for for all of us, this is relevant. We live in a society where the the, the wind is against us. We live in a society with the war, the battle is pressing in against us. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Christian institutions being attacked and pulled down right across our nation. Gender, sex, marriage redefined. Tolerance, the great God of our age. Church attendance in decline. Naturalism, atheism, the philosophies of our day, the prevailing winds are against us. And for many of you, this morning, you are realizing, although you didn't realize it, you were in a field of barley, you are in a field of barley, and it's being overrun by the enemy, and it is time to stand up and fight. G.K. Chesterton commented on this across the centuries. He talked about how many, many times it looks as if the church is finished. Um, And (laughs) he rather amusingly says, he says this, he says, they thought that the faith had gone to the dogs, but in every case, the dogs died. It's true today that people prophesying the church is going to be wiped out in the next decade or something in the West. It's happened before, folks. <laughs> God is not dead. God is alive. God is not going to be um, mocked, and, and he, he's going to see us through. But we need to stand and fight. So it's a battle. It's a day of retreat around us, and something needs to change. You see, something happened to Eleazar. I don't know what it was. 
I don't know what it made him on that particular day with David stand and fight, but something rose up within him and said, this must change. I'm not going to run away anymore. I'm not going to tolerate this enemy army invading my land. It's not clear why that particular day, that particular time, it wasn't a strategic place. It's just a little valley in Israel. It wasn't his tribal um, um, responsibility. He was a Benjaminite. This was in the land of Judah. I don't know why he chose that land. I don't know why he chose that day, but for every one of us, there comes a day when we also need to stand up and fight and say, no more. No more compromise. No more giving in to the enemy. No more accepting the status quo. I'm going to stand up and fight. There's a man called Paul in the Old Testament. He was called Saul in those days. He was a brutal enemy of the church. And God comes to him and he says, he says a few words, but one particular word he says to him was, rise, rise, rise. And you know something? He never stopped rising. And he infected the whole of the Western Mediterranean, the Eastern Mediterranean with the gospel. He planted churches. He wrote half the New Testament because there came a day in Paul's life when he heard a word to rise and he believed it. He took it into him and he went on, always on, 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 pressing forward, not satisfied with what was behind him, pressing forward to the high calling of Christ on his life. It's the same with all of us. We need to rise. We need to rise out of mediocrity. We need to rise out of giving up. Fourth thing about him, it was a battle, a time of retreat. He rose up and he stood his ground. There come times in our lives when we need to rise, we need to get out of our lethargy, and laziness, and defeatism, and unbelief. There's a time when we need to rise, but it's not just a moment of crisis. You have to stand in it. You have to walk in it. You have to stand in it day after day. Paul uses a slightly different image in Ephesians 6, where he talks about the Christian life as a wrestling match. It's a battle. It's a fight. It's the same sort of image and four times in those verses, he tells the Ephesian Christians, stand, therefore, stand, withstand, stand. The key to spiritual warfare is standing, standing, standing. Are you prepared to rise up this morning? Are you prepared to stand? Warfare, time of retreat. He rose, he stood, and he fought. What did he fight with? He fought with a sword. He fought with a sword. Now Ephesians 6 makes it quite plain what that sword is for Christians. We're not fighting with bombs and guns and all that sort of stuff. We're not fighting with this sort of sword. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is sharper 
than a two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is our weapon, folks. That's why Bible reading is not some sort of um, casual sort of added extra for the Christian life. Your knowledge of the Bible is not just useful, it's essential. How are you going to fight without something in your hands? How are you going to fight without a weapon to stand against the enemy? What does Jesus do when he's attacked by Satan in the wilderness? He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. The Son of God takes the sword of the Spirit and he says, flee from me, Satan. Flee from me, you must flee. Satan hates this sword. He's been pierced by it and hacked by it and defeated by it for centuries by men and women who took it in their hands and spoke it out against him. The thing about Eleazar is he not only fought with the sword, he was not only familiar with it, he didn't only know how to use it, but it says it stuck to his hand. He clove to him. His hand clove to the sword. The psalmist said, I cleave to your testimonies. Let me not be put to shame. He got to a point where in his life where he um, so desired the word of God, so loved it that he couldn't let go of it. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He'd memorized it. He'd meditated on it. He'd prayed it. He'd spoken it out. He'd thought over it again and again and again. Cleave to his hand, and that is the, that's the heritage for every Christian. Part of my call to you to rise up and stand this morning is to take the Word of God seriously. What have you memorized? What are you meditating on? What are you filling your hands of your minds with day and night? Solomon, in the Song of Songs, has a bodyguard of 60 soldiers, and they're described like this. All of them wearing swords, an expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. They were armed. Their sword was with them day and night. They were ready for battle. Sixthly, last point of this from this story is when one man took his stand and fought the battle, the others came back to the battlefield. And I'm not just talking about you this morning. I am talking about you individually, each one of you. And each one of you individually will have an opportunity to make your own stand before God. But so much more hangs on you. As you take your step and your stand, others will come back to the ranks. Backsliders will return. Others will be encouraged. Future generations, destiny hangs on this morning, on your response to the Word of God. As you take your stand, as you rise, as you pursue God with all your heart, others' lives will be transformed. Now, this is a critical moment in this morning because 
If I stop there, this is not a gospel message. If I stopped here, it would be merely a call to try harder. Come and be a hero for God. Come and take your stand. You can take it. You can take on the world. Come on. It would be a, uh, hoorah. Come on. Let's go for it, guys. A stirring and a dress. It'll be forgotten by lunchtime. Because <laughs> that's not the Christian gospel. Jesus is not looking for heroes. Jesus is looking for men, women made strong out of weakness who become mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight, as it talks about in the book of Hebrews. What did I say to you a little while earlier? The Old Testament is full of pictures of Jesus. I want to tell you, Eleazar is a type of Jesus Christ. Because there was a man who came from heaven. He came down to a field of barley, He came down to a forgotten little land overrun by a tyrannical empire of Rome. He came down to insignificance. He came down to a a menial job for 30 years. He lived a life of quietness. And then there came a moment when he stood out. He rose up and he took his stand. And for three years he stood up against the religious hypocrisy, against the emptiness of his day, the fear, the power And it all eventually came to a head in a garden, not a field of barley, but an olive grove on a hillside outside Jerusalem. Hidden in the shadows and and men come to arrest him. What does Jesus do? Does he hide away? Does he slip away in the darkness? No, he stood forth and said to them, who do you seek? He gave himself into the hands of his, his enemies. He allowed himself to be led before Pilate, Herod, the Jewish authorities. He took his ground. He he stood the mocking. He took the scourging, the pain, the torture. He He let himself be led away to be crucified on a cross. And there in that great barley field, Jesus, the Son of God, fought his epic battle. And how did he fight it? How did Jesus, the Son of God, go through the cross, the pain, the agony. Jesus' arms were pinned to wood, but I tell you, he was holding a sword. Nothing in all that agony and pain could rip that sword out of his hands. Jesus was living Psalm 22 on the cross. He actually quotes the first verse and the last verse of the psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it finishes, he has done it. Or in the New Testament, you'll be more familiar with the translation, it is finished. And even as he hangs there, bleeding and dying, Psalm 22 is being worked out in front of his eyes. Listen to it. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The Jewish leaders actually quoted Psalm 22 back to him. 
I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Even as Jesus meditates on Psalm 22, it's happening right in front of his eyes. He's in the will of the Father. He's fulfilling the Father's plan. It was predicted centuries ago that he'd go to the cross, he'd suffer like that, and he held onto his sword, and that's how he triumphed. And that's how you and I triumph. You see, Eleazar is not the hero of the story. Eleazar, it points out in both passages, Eleazar stood with his captain. He stood with David. And one greater than David is here. And one greater than Eleazar is here. And it doesn't say that Eleazar won a great victory that day. It says the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And as you stand and take your stand on different issues, the Lord's going to win the victory. It's not you. It's not your effort. But as something in you stirs you to rise and take your stand this morning. What do fields of barley look like in your life? I've got three. I'm standing in a whole load of barley fields at the moment. I guess many of you are. Or maybe it's just one barley field where the battle is fiercest. I've stood in lots of barley fields in my life. When I became a Christian the first thing I realized was I was utterly overridden by sin. Sexual lust overwhelmed me. It controlled me. It enslaved me. The word of God came to me. I read Job 31. It says this, I have made a covenant with my eyes never to look on a woman. And then it says, verse 12 later, it says, that would be a fire that burns to abaddon, that would destroy to the roots all my increase. That is unacceptable. To live with sin controlling you is unacceptable. It means you can't grow. I cannot tolerate that. The word of God pierced my heart, propelled me. I spent a night crying out to God for deliverance. The Lord wrought a great victory that day. Our daughter was, one of our daughters was ill. She kept getting these ear infections, recurrent ear infections, one after another after another. We'd, we'd pray, yeah, of course, but nothing seemed to happen. She'd get some antibiotics and she'd get better. Eventually, something rose up in Dorian and I. And we said, no, this has got to stop. I'm not having my daughter suffering like this. And we took our stand. We took authority and we said, no, this thing stops here. She never had another ear infection from that day onwards. Our first house, we um, had no money. We had very little money for the deposit. I won't go into the figures. It was a lot of money, but it wasn't it, not a huge amount of money in, in our day. But in those days, it was a lot of money. We had no money. God put it in our hearts to believe God for it. We walked through seven weeks with no visible means of having that deposit. And it was a battle. It was a field of barley, I'm telling you. Every now and then, all the fears and the doubts would swarm in over me and overwhelm me. Oh, no, I'm going to go to the building society and say, no, I haven't got the deposit. I'm going to have to go to the bank and say, look, I'm really sorry, but we've made a right mess. I need to borrow some more money. But as I prayed, the fears went. As I prayed in tongues, 
Faith came. We had to put the deposit in on the Monday. On Sunday night, we still did not have that money. We went to church that day, and one of our friends from church came up to us and gave us an interest-free loan for the whole amount we needed. God wrought a great victory that day. Who knows what God is going to wrought in your lives from this morning. So I'd like you to stand up. I'd like you to find a pl- I'd like you to move out your seats. I'd like you to find a, a bit of space for yourself. This is for you individually, personally. And I want you to take your stand. You're standing on your field of barley. Identify it and say, God, I'm standing to fight today. I'm rising up. This must come to an end. So pray. Let's call out to God. Quietly or loudly, call out to God to bring you help in your time of need. Some of you may have um, stood on a a very large barley field. You might have stood on another nation. You might have stood on amazing transformations in our nation of Britain. You might have been standing on a very insignificant little barley field, and you're wondering whether it really matters. But I want to tell you, small victories lead to big victories. And many years after Eleazar stood on his barley field, another man took five barley loaves and fed over 10,000 people. Amazing results can come from small steps. Now I know that the Lord will send from his holy heaven with mighty victories by his right hand. Some boast in chariots and horses. We boast in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall. We will rise and stand upright. And I call you to to stand in your, you've risen today. I'm calling you to stand in faith, to see through the issues you're standing on and see God's great victory. I'm now going to have an opportunity for any of you Southside people to come and make your own. Um, I, I believe there are, there, are, there are prayers, stands, uh, declarations you need to make over your site this morning. Aragorn at the... Um, Lord of the Rings film at the gates of Moria comes to the last battle and he says this, there may come a day when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break the bonds of fellowship, an hour of woes, of shattered shields, the age of men comes crashing down but it is not this day, today we fight. By all that you hold dear, men and women of the South, by all that you hold dear, by all your dreams and longings for your city, for your neighbours, for your workplaces, for your beautiful Jesus, who is the one greater than Eleazar, on behalf of him, for his sake, I urge you, stand today. So the floor is open to any of you who want to come and do that.